0: Hello everyone, this is Laura Lee. It's Thursday, September the 6th. Kids are back into the routine of school and are you ready for this? This is Project Command. a power transfer. Silence X minus 10, One, zero. Here in Canada this weekend, a Christian film is in theaters. I like to support the Christian film industry and I like to go out and see the films. So this last week, I was given the opportunity to see a screening of this new film coming out. and It's called God Bless the Broken Road. I've never heard of this movie before and actually I had no idea uh, what the film was even going to be about. I think that actually made the viewing experience even better. So I'm not going to talk to you about the plot of the movie. But more just about the message in this movie. So the message in the movie is really a question. Can you praise God when everything is falling apart? So we can praise God when everything is wonderful and everything is working out great. But can we praise him when everything falls apart? When you're so broken that just getting up in the morning and surviving the day is all you can manage. How do you praise God? And when you trusted God with your life and then your life just falls apart, then does that mean it's time to take control of your life back? So when there's no worship inside you, when there's no words of thanksgiving inside you, when you can barely breathe, let alone sing, does God still want to hear from you? So I wrote a blog about this film. So you can go over to my website, lauraleesiemens.com. You can read that blog plus some other great blogs that I have over there. But overall, I would say this is a good film, and I would definitely recommend it for families. I would also highly recommend this film for churches to watch together. So what did my family think of this film? Well, my kids, they enjoyed it. My husband said it was a good film for a chick flick. And me, I would say, ah, there's definitely a scene where you're going to need some tissues. And a side note, the music in this film is amazing, and I really want to get the soundtrack for it. Also, the proceeds for this film actually go to families of injured or fallen war heroes. So there's a million reasons that you need to go see this film. Okay, so the news from this week. I guess the biggest thing right now in Canada is the NAFTA deal or the lack of a NAFTA deal. So just to recap, Trump is, you know, trying to make America great again. And that means going back to the time of Reagan. And that's pre-Clinton and the pre-NAFTA deal. So his entire presidential run, we knew this was coming. So the talk started out with America wanting to work with Canada. And maybe they would drag Mexico along. Or maybe have no deal with them at all. So that switched to making a deal with Mexico. And maybe dragging Canada along or no deal at all for us. So this is going to kill us. We need this trade deal. If all of the American businesses go, we're gonna be in really big trouble. Trump already lowered the corporate taxes, so it's the same as ours, and there's really no reason to stay in Canada. Everything here is more expensive, and we have a lot of regulations. The United States is getting rid of their regulations at a shocking speed. But Trudeau is, let's face it, he's a spoiled rich kid who's never had anyone say no to him before. So he doesn't actually know how to negotiate. The deal on the table would mean a higher percentage of cars would have to be made in North America in order for the car to be able to say it was made in America. And that is very good for us. This would bring factories that are not in North America back into North America and hopefully that would mean back into Canada. There's also a part of the deal that says a larger percentage of the automobile would have to be made in the United States and that does make sense since they buy more vehicles than we do but it's kind of not good for us so that would be maybe something we could negotiate if we had someone who was capable of negotiating so what does Trudeau want well he wants a chapter on gender added to the agreement yep that's what he's fighting for he wants to tell Mexico and the United States how many women to hire And that's what he's fighting to add in. There are other things on the table like milk supply management. I did almost an entire podcast on the milk supply management. Definitely, I had some angry farmers write me about that. But sorry, we're going to have to bend at least a little on this one. There's going to have to be probably some changes. But it's not really looking that good for us. There's a pretty good chance that Trudeau messes this up and Canada gets completely shafted. But I've talked about this before so I'm not going to keep going over it. However, I have noticed that the same stories keep popping up in the news. So, I've started posting clips from past episodes with the history of the news that's happening that day. This means we'll have some extra podcasts that are short and talk just about one topic. To make sure you don't miss those, you need to subscribe so that you for sure get the notifications when those pop up. Okay. So the school year is upon us. Kids are back to activities, sports club, homework. It's like the summer never even happened. This year, my oldest two are in high school. Time is going by so fast. But even this basic activity of new school year can't be done anymore without controversy. So Ford has put a one-year pause on the sex ed curriculum and has reverted to the 2014 sex ed curriculum until more parents can have input in what's being taught. So a one-year pause and we're going back to those dark ages of 2014. So if you're thinking you didn't realize that sex changed since 2014, you're right, sex actually hasn't changed. It still works the same way it did in 2014. What has changed is the propaganda and the brainwashing and that's the part parents have a problem with. So the left is going a little crazy We're failing our children by taking this one-year break in the sex ed, you know, reverting back to those dark ages of 2014. What no one seems to care about is the fact that we actually are failing our children in things like math. So here's some crazy facts. In 2010, 71% of grade 3 students in Ontario could meet math standards. Today, that's 61%. Of grade 3 students can meet math standards. That's a 10 point drop in just eight years. But the thing is grade 3 isn't even the bad part of the story. In 2010, 61% of grade 6 students can meet math standards but today only 49%. 49% of the grade 6 people, students, are meeting math standards. So what is the solution? Well, The teacher's union is just asking for the test to be taken away. That way we won't know how desperately we are failing our students. This is a serious problem, and it's because of something called discovery math. So this is math where you don't memorize anything. You don't actually learn how math works. You just discover it. And that's a problem. Because you can learn sex by discovering it. That actually works really well. You can't learn math this way. You have to actually be taught it. So Ford is going to just scrap this discovery math. We're going back to the basics. Kids are going to maybe memorize something like timetables. Kids need to do drills. They need to have the math so deep in their heads that they don't even have to think. They just immediately know the answer because this frees up your mind so you can do the rest of math. So the thing about the discovery math concept of learning math Is that it actually works really well in the older grades where children already have a really firm foundation? They have an understanding of the math and the way math works so they can discover new things about math But if we start right off with this method of learning, we don't actually learn anything My frustration with this kind of learning in the younger grades is something that I see in the churches So this is how we teach the Bible as well. We don't memorize the Bible even though that is actually clearly commanded in the Bible to do. We don't learn the deep parts of Scripture. We're not teaching what does it mean that God is omnipresent or omniscient or omnipotent. We don't even teach how we know Jesus is God. We just say Jesus is God. So we don't teach our congregations how to answer the tough questions. We mostly just say a lot of things that sound like spiritual memes or could be slogans on inspirational posters. We have a discovery God kind of teaching. And the thing about discovering God is that once you have an understanding of the basics, you can discover God. But when you leave out the fundamental principles of God, people end up following and believing bad doctrine. And that is true in our churches. We have to memorize the Bible. We need to know what the Trinity is and how to explain it. We need to know that Jesus did claim to be God and know that we can prove that Jesus did claim to be God. We need to know the books of the Bible. We need to know the different types of literature in the Bible. We need to know the writers of the Bible. That way, when we're reading the Bible, we can discover God. I was talking to a pastor friend of mine who studied at one of the main Bible colleges in Ontario, and he told me he was taught that as a pastor, He needed to not use big words or teach theology because the people in the pews can't handle that. Well, as a person in the pew, I cannot disagree more. How condescending is that? Not only should we be teaching theology and using big words in the adult service, we should be doing that in our children's services as well. This is one of the things I speak on, teaching theology to kids. And yes, you can teach theology to kids and you should be teaching theology to kids. Our Bible is an amazing gift that God has given us and we don't respect it at all. We don't value it enough because we don't understand it. So this leads me to another story in the news in the last few weeks, Greg Laurier. So Greg Laurier was born December 10th, 1952. His mom was not married, which was not the thing that happened in 1952. She lived her life very differently than how God has told us how to live. Greg's mom was married seven times and he moved all over the United States and he even lived for a while in Hawaii. At the age of 17 in 1970, Greg was attending Newport Harbor High School and he heard about Jesus from a preacher named Lonnie Frisbee. So Greg came to know Jesus as a savior and he became a Christian. At first, Greg wasn't sure about how he was gonna respond to his new faith with his friends but at one of his friends home it was discovered that he had come to the house with a Bible he had the Bible because someone had given it to him that day so his friends mocked him but it was at that moment that he saw there was something about the Bible that was powerful people didn't know what to do with someone who had a Bible even if it was someone they knew very well Greg decided to study the Bible and he continued studying it and by the time he was 19 years old He was leading a Bible study. This Bible study eventually grew into a church called Harvest Christian Fellowship. Today it has a congregation of about 15,000 people. One of the things Harvest does each year is hold a massive rally. Every year hundreds of people come to know Jesus through this rally. Eight years ago, just a few days before their rally, Greg's son was killed in a car accident. This was a devastating time for Greg and his wife. It was during this time that the Bible became even more important to him. What he had learned, he was now discovering for himself as truth. The things he had taught others about grief, he now understood. This year, the church had a picture of Greg holding a Bible as the campaign picture to advertise the rally. The large mall where the pictures were hung called Greg. They had received death threats. And they were going to have to take the picture down it was just too offensive it was just Greg standing holding a Bible Harvest would have to redo the advertisement and take the Bible out of the picture my advice is always don't back down because they'll always just ask for more and that's what happened after the pictures were changed and the mall came back and said they couldn't have any advertisement at all but then the story got picked up by a news station And suddenly Fox News was calling Greg, and Greg was able to tell his story of the power of the Bible on the morning news, hitting way more people than he would have ever hit at the mall. Harvest Church is calling on people to stand with the Bible, to post a picture of yourself in public with the Bible, and use the hashtag, StandWithTheBible. I posted a picture of my Bible on the dashboard of my van. I have a Bible that I leave in my van so I can read it when I'm waiting for kids, because Picking up kids and dropping off kids is actually a really large percentage of my day, especially now that the school season has started. So now I'm telling you, I want you to post a picture of where you read the Bible in public. Post a picture and use the hashtag standwiththebible. This last week, one of the things talked about a lot in the news and a lot of news coverage and Twitter was the funeral of McCain. Now, I'm not going to get into the debate of whether McCain was a good senator or not, because that doesn't even matter anymore. What does frustrate me is the sudden change. I remember when McCain ran against Obama. The debate between McCain and Obama was actually the first full presidential debate that I watched. I had just gotten Twitter, so it was also the first time I followed along with the debate on Twitter. My kids were little at the time, so I just put them to bed, and I was cleaning up the playroom, And watching the debate and following Twitter. My husband is right. I do do a lot of things at the same time. I remember how harsh people were, how much they hated him. I remember how unfair the media was with him. I remember the whole race. The media made him sound like a monster and now suddenly they love him. And then there's this picture of Bush sneaking some treats to Michelle Obama and the media is eating it up. It's like the sweetest thing ever. Okay, I was attending Bob Jones University when the mob came for Bush. We were kind of scooped up in that mob. Apparently, he was racist because he spoke at our university. It was horrible. Reporters would actually dress as if they were students and then hang out in the area where students were and try to get some info about how the school was terrible. Well, yeah, students complain about profs and classes. It's kind of part of the school experience. But then suddenly you're being quoted in the evening news. It was a disaster. And I remember the media saying Bush was a war criminal. I remember them saying he was so dumb. I mean, they talked about how he was so dumb all the time. Now he's just this sweet guy who shares his candy. The same media that says Trump is literally Hitler. It's whatever Republican is in power, they'll go out of their way to paint as a villain. This is called yellow journalism. And I heard the term yellow journalism, so of course I needed to know where it came from. And here's the story. Behind yellow journalism. February the 17th, 1895. The New York World Newspaper had something new. Mickey Dugan or the Yellow Kid. It was a cartoon strip and it shocked the readers. First of all it was in yellow print and that was new but it was also not a cartoon strip for kids. The Yellow Kid was bald and this was common amongst the kids in the ghettos because they were always struggling with lice. He spoke slang, something readers were not used to seeing, and his shirt was used as a way of advertising. People would pay to have their slogan printed on his shirt. The cartoonist was Richard Boltcult and the comic strip was called Hogan's Alley. Hogan's Alley became a full-page Sunday color cartoon. The Yellow Kid was the main character. The comic strip would soon become very popular. Richard did something different with his comics. He used word balloons. This would be copied in other comic strips and would eventually lead to comic books. The comic strip wasn't funny. It covered topics of racial tensions, the ghetto life, consumerists, all from the point of view of some pretty rough kids from the poorest parts of New York City. World Magazine was owned by Joseph Pulitzer. His main competitor was William Randolph Hertz, and his newspaper was called the New York Journal. So the world and the journal were at war against each other and in 1896 hertz offered a larger salary and the yellow kid moved to the journal but joseph Pulitzer didn't give up so easily george lukes had a comic strip as well and george lukes added the yellow kid to his strip so the yellow kid was in both the world and the journal outcult went to court and tried to get a copyright on the yellow kid but failed to make sure the journal got what they paid for They needed the comic strip to be even more shocking. So after its move to the journal, the Yellow Kid became more violent and more vulgar. While most people were buying more papers to get the comic strip, some were unimpressed. The paper was supposed to be about journalism, but it seemed to have become about one upping the other paper with sensational stories. The papers would send out new papers a couple of times a day to make sure they had the most sensational story out first. They even got pigeons, that were trained to fly from the courthouse to the paper so the most sensational parts of the trial could be sent to print as soon as it happened. Maybe we call this the original tweet. People who were disgusted by this called this kind of journalism yellow journalism, after the yellow kid. It wasn't just sensational news and birds, the kids on the streets would scream out slogans to get the attention of the reader, so they would buy the paper. The slogans were often not what the story was really about. So not much has changed. Today we're still tweeting, fighting over the most sensational parts of the story, and now instead of newsies shouting in the streets for readers to spend a penny on a paper, we have clickbait slogans. But what if yellow journalism went too far? It did. And it could have destroyed America. And since we don't study history anymore, we're now doomed to repeat it. The war between Hertz and Pulitzer, between the world and the journal, was about to become an actual war. Both newspapers were hurting for readers. There was no sensational murder cases on trial that they could cover. What was needed was something that would sell papers and that would last a long time. Something like a war. But no one was attacking America. There was no countries that America needed to attack. They couldn't have a war unless there was a reason for a war. They needed a cause. One Americans would be willing to die for. So Hertz decided to send a group of reporters to Cuba. Cuba had been controlled by Spain for the last 200 years. Spain had taken control of Cuba because of its sugar cane. The Cubans had started a few small revolutions trying to gain independence but had never gone anywhere. So Hertz sent his reporters to Cuba on a private boat. He paid them $5,000 each and that's a lot of money in the 18th century. The job was to find out information about a reformation. Hertz would do the rest. The reporter sent Hertz a telegram from Cuba. It said this, Everything's quiet here. There will be no war. I wish to come home. And this was Hertz' response. Please remain. You furnish the pictures. I will furnish the war. So the reporter stayed and continued to look for anything that might look like a human rights issue. Something that would make Americans angry. Then a reporter named George Bryson heard about a 17-year-old girl being held in a prison, so he went to see her. She was the niece of the person who was trying to start the next revolution. Her name was Evangelina. She had been arrested and found guilty of being a prostitute, even though she had done nothing wrong. She was sentenced to serve 20 years in prison. It was clearly the Spanish punishing her uncle and ending the revolution. George sent in her story and her picture. It was just what Hertz needed to start a war. Hertz ran with the story and printed the drawing of the girl. He made sure she was as beautiful and as innocent looking as possible. Then George got her diary and Hertz began to publish it each day another entry. It was sensational and everyone had to have the daily paper to find out what happened next to this girl in prison. Yellow journalism had moved from a cartoon character to a real person. But it was still all about getting the reader hooked. Once Hertz neared the end of the diary, he knew he would need more. So he found a way to bribe the prison guards and have Evangeline released. However, he sold the story as breaking news. Evangeline had escaped from prison. Papers were selling faster and faster. Then Hertz brought Evangeline to America. Every paper was about this girl. What was she doing? The party she was going to. The crowds gathered to see her. Look what America had done for this girl. But wait, there are so many more Cuban girls like her. We must free them all. People began to demand the government do something. The president at the time was McKinley. Would he be manipulated by the paper to send America to war against Spain? Then, on February 15, 1898, the USS Maine exploded and sank in the Havana harbor. Two hundred and sixty seamen were dead. There was no evidence that the USS Maine had been attacked, but the journal blamed the Spanish. The headline was, Remember the Maine, to hell with Spain. President McKinley begged the people to wait until they knew what happened, but people wanted war, and they wanted war now. Meanwhile, at the New York paper, Pulitzer could see Hertz was creating a war, and he did not like it. Pulitzer had actually been in the Civil War. He knew what war looked like, sounded like. Smelt like. He didn't want war. But now this was the story. So if he didn't write about it, he would not be covering the news, even if the news was being manipulated by another paper. Now both papers were calling for war. It seemed inevitable. War will be here soon. Americans began demanding, free the Cubans. Newspaper sales skyrocketed. The Journal hit its all-time high in sales. And then America declared war on Spain. The Spanish-American War lasted not very long, and in the end it only ended up selling a few papers. May 20th, 1902, Thomas Estrada Palama became the first president of Cuba. In the end, Cuba did gain independence, and America was the reason they were able to, but Americans were manipulated by the journal to make war so they could sell papers. After the war, the public began to see that they had been manipulated and they no longer trusted the press yellow journalism was the enemy of the people very soon the sales dropped so bad that both papers were forced to make layoffs and drop wages it's 116 years later and yellow journalism is still manipulating and yellow journalism is still manipulating us what we have to do is refuse to be manipulated As Christians, this is important because it's usually a very anti-Christian, anti-biblical narrative that is being taught. We have to always be vigilant. This is the war on Christianity. But Jesus did say that this would happen. He said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that they hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. Why does the world hate Jesus? Because Jesus' message is clear. There's only one way to God, and that is through Jesus Christ. Satan wants us to believe that there are many ways to God, but there is not. There is only one way to God. That one way is realizing first that you're a sinner and can't make it to God on your own. Then seeing and believing that Jesus is God and he alone can save you. And calling on him, asking him to save you. The work has already been done. The debt for your sins has already been paid. All that's left is for you to accept it. To accept it is just to pray. Talk to God. Tell Him you're sorry for your sin. You don't want to do things your way anymore. You want to do things God's way. Ask Him to forgive you and He will. I'm Loralee Siemens. Check out my website for blogs, videos, and past podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe.